we are even cheaper. But for anyone who does sell online, we really have a way better value proposition. We know that ROI with us is way greater due to best practices which are built into the product and really allow anyone to sell more by using Cognizant. I'm PayPlayer. I don't do fluff. I don't do filler. I don't do emojis. What I do is study winners in B2B SaaS because I want to know how much is strategy, how much is luck, and how do they win. This week, Ritis Lauris, co-founder and CEO of Omnisend, an all-in-one e-commerce marketing automation platform based out of Lithuania. Omnisend was founded in 2014, but experienced a big boom over the last couple of years. They now sit at around 30 million in ARR, have 190 employees located all around the world, and have more than 60,000 customers. In this episode, we discuss how Omnisend competes in a crowded space, the importance of timing, and how they built their brand through content. Let's get into it. Omnisend is a spin-off from digital marketing agents. So back in the days, we were serving, uh, mainly developing and doing creative stuff, digital marketing for our customers, developing uh, Facebook apps, and we had certain customers who were selling online. So that's what where we spotted the opportunity that back in those days, everyone who was selling online, they were somehow exceptional and there were no tools who were serving them specifically. And uh, up until today, those who do have all fully online businesses, they have this luxury to have entire customer journey happening online. So there are a lot of breadcrumbs and there's a lot of data with, based on that, on which, on that data, you can automate your marketing activities. So that's the opportunity we saw that like e-commerce is not served specifically, although this segment has a specific abilities and needs to run their retention marketing. Now we have email, we do have SMS messages, we have web push notifications, ability to sync with Google and Facebook ads in order to run lookalike audiences or retargeting campaigns. The focus on e-commerce or like online retail, however you call it, has never ever changed since the launch. So back at the start, that space wasn't very crowded yet, whereas today there's you know, a bunch of very big players. Yes and no. Uh, so that space was already crowded and like a lot of people and, you know, we are bootstrapped. But to be honest, uh, at the early days, we were trying to fundraise, but like investors were looking at us, come on, email, <laughs> leather shoes, what could be more old school? <laughs> there is no innovation. And why was it so? Because the market was already extremely crowded with, let's say, old school, one size fits all solutions, which you do, or general email service providers, we call them. So uh, they do exist up until those days. But what is happening since then? So like marketing and marketing automation tools, they're going into niches. Specifically, e-commerce market was not crowded, although it was already filled in because everyone was using generic email service providers, which were already giant, and they are still up until today, they are massive, like huge companies. This is a classic story of so many B2B companies. They spot an emerging category or an opportunity, and there's very little direct competition around at the time. The market is immature. Customers in the market are not aware of options, so they'll go with whoever solves the problem. Table sticks features will make a big difference. 
Typically, there's a lot of companies, often quite similar in their capabilities, that are trying to win the market in its nascent phase. Whoever manages to get big first and position themselves inside the mind of the customer first, wins. To win, you need speed. Speed of execution, speed of shipping product, building awareness, generating pipeline. This is why raising VC money is an attractive play for emerging market players. You can pump that money into growth and not worry about profitability in the short term. This is exactly what many now huge companies did, from Amazon to HubSpot. Once you have the largest market share, you reap the benefits. Companies who are number one or two in their category just make so much more money than anyone else. In the beginning, your, your main point of view for like how you're going to win is that we're going to build a dedicated solution for e-commerce email marketing. Let's say the first version of the product, you were in the market. Then how did your product strategy evolve? Yeah, so initially we like two things we changed the most. So it's one is uh, channels which we're serving. So that was uh, basic solution email service tool, just basic email campaigns or like bulk or email blasts, however you call it. We started from that. So campaigns to automation. So basically, data-driven, automated uh, campaigns, which are initiated by Omnison based on the customer behavior. So that was the first involvement. Second involvement was really to like multiple channels, and we added text messages, we added uh, web push notifications, we added uh, Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, uh, and Viber, and we deprecated Facebook Messenger, WhatsApp, and Viber because those channels didn't prove themselves as being effective for our customers, for those who do sell online. And we stayed with email, SMS, and web push notifications for now. And definitely, there are always emerging channels which, if they start proving themselves as being effective as a marketing channels to communicate with your existing customer base, uh, we will definitely add them in the future. How did you get your you know, first 100, 1,000 customers? What kind of channels worked for you? And how has that changed over these uh, last few years? So uh, the first... 100 to 1,000 customers. Uh, the first integration we launched was on Ticktail. Uh, well, listeners, and you might remember, might not, there used to be a very promising uh, Swedish startup e-commerce platform. So that was our first integration, which we launched, which made us believe that this, there is a potentially the need of our service in the market. And, uh, and we really had a good, good traction there. Then we made exactly the same on Shopify and Shopify App Store. So that was initial traction, which we got. Uh, currently, those days is definitely like way larger mix of different channels. Still, platforms and their app stores, so their ecosystems are important for us. We do have agency partnerships who drive us business. There are um, affiliates working exclusively or not exclusively, but focusing on Shopify and BigCommerce, on WooCommerce, which is a part of uh, WordPress. So definitely there is a massive community there. A lot of SaaS companies uh, uh, have tried to set up agency programs, but usually it doesn't really go anywhere. It's not uh, a significant source of, of revenue. Um, how did you make it work? Uh, so it's uh, not the, the biggest source for us by far, but it's let's say it's double digit in, in percentage of overall uh, new business revenue which is coming to us. So there are a couple of things and there are great uh, 
large agencies, which are serving large uh, customers. And definitely it's uh, not that easy to get into relationship with such uh, agencies because usually we either have partners. And in our case, there are a lot of like small agencies, freelancers in e-commerce space who do develop, who do uh, run marketing for those who do sell online. So we basically took a long tail of agencies and we applied Omnisend as a completely product-led business. We are product-led business. So we do apply the same tactics to the product. We do apply similar tactics to our agency program as well. It's a lot of self-service. We do have partner portal where our small partners, if, if you bring us two leads per year, we appreciate that a lot. So you do it in a self-service way. We pay you out in a self-service way, et cetera, et cetera. So it just simplified for both our partners and us. And yeah, we're going after long-tail partners. A successful agency partner program can be hard to pull off. It's an easy place to sink a lot of time and resources into without seeing much return. Those who can pull it off, however, have the opportunity to see rapid growth through their partner channel. Success starts with understanding the mindset of your potential agency partners. Peter Caputa, CEO of Databox and the man responsible for building HubSpot's agency program to 100 million, explains what agencies are looking for. Most agencies look at it and say, is this a piece of software we need? Is it a piece of software that my clients need? And then the next question is like, All right, what's the margin? If I were running an agency right now, the first thing I would do is go look at all the partner programs and see which ones have the most generous mm-hmm. commission plan. But I think most agencies are not in that frame of mind. Most of them are very much looking at it as like, here's the services I get, I'm selling, and I'm, you know, I'm selling a five or ten or twenty thousand dollar a month engagement to these clients, and there's a certain amount of mm-hmm. software I need in order to execute on those services. So they're still looking at it as mailbox money as opposed to building a business on it. It's not how I would look at it. I think there's an opportunity to literally build a massive annuity business if you're willing to hustle and partner with a bunch of software companies. What's the number one channel that works for you? Is it SEO content or, or paid? SEO content. So there are, there are two, I would say, main areas which are working for us uh, the most. So it's uh, first one is really collaboration with listicles or dedicated articles, which are dedicated to how to start your e-commerce business, how to improve, how to drive more sales, how, how to improve relationship with your customers, et cetera, et cetera. So usually we do it with uh, in cooperation with someone who has already trusted uh, like resources, uh, I mean, portals, whatever, blogs uh, who have traffic and we in cooperation, we do provide the quality content for them. It's one and it's uh, the second is our own blog and our own content, which is a lot based on quality researches, which we do uh, produce a lot of researches. First, uh, like party data, which is owned by us. And it's not just a generic article, you know, oh, to start your email marketing campaign, you have to think about a good subject line. Yes, we do have such articles, but what is a good subject line? We have a research and we can quote ourselves on that based on our customer data. And that really works a lot uh, and good for us. And even our competitors are quoting us when we need certain data too to prove it, and that's how we get backlinks from MailChimp. Content marketers have ruined so much of online content. Most of the stuff that ranks for whatever keyword is written by a non-expert. 
with the only goal to rank high. It's mostly rehashing content from other blog posts with little original thought, experience, or research. Anyone can write a blog post, but doing original research is hard. It costs money and time. That being said, doing a single original research study does very little for you. Doing a ton over the years will build your reputation and help you become the go-to source. None of these things will get you the quarterly quota, but it will help you build your brand. Here's Michelle Lin, co-founder and chief strategy officer of Mantis Research, explaining the benefits of original research and content and how it can help in growing your content visibility and credibility. At the end of the day, research is really key because it helps you lead the conversation. Original research solidifies your position as a thought leader. It's content no one else will have, but everyone else will want to share. And that second part is so very important. It is content that no one else will have, but everybody will want to share. And because you're leading the conversation, what happens is that you're earning backlinks. It's increasingly difficult to get attention and to get links and original research and reference content are the two types of content that get links. So what happens is you get links, you get people coming to your site, you build an audience, that, you know, especially if you do this in a wise way, you have all of these related assets to your research and you build an audience that wants to hear from you. It's beautiful. And then last thing, original research helps you win new customers. If you guys know Andrea Fryware, she's just all about agile marketing. She actually found that there is a clear correlation between reading a report and customers ready to make a purchase. So it works on so many levels. On your product strategy front, it sounds like that in the beginning you were trying to get to, a, let's say, a, a complete product. Today, when competition is intense and really all the top players have all the features, how are you thinking about competing and winning today? Our position in the market is we're serving small and medium-sized businesses, SMB. So there are kind of two main rules while we are building the product. First one, our learning curve has to be as flat as possible. So anyone who just starts using Cognizant, we have to get to the value as fast as we can make it. Value is usually uh, orders and revenue, which uh, they start getting through us. Uh, and uh, it's the first part. And the second part is usually, again, it's the same with easiness of use and the results. So our main or ideal customers are those who uh, either it's a kind of few people in the company who have a lot of spinning plates or even if there is a marketing department we are limiting our ideal customers before the, there is a data analyst in the marketing team so our aim is to help our customers by investing 10% of the time to accomplish 80% of the goals with our competitors uh, to accomplish 80% of a goal, you have to invest 80% of the time. Yes, Omnisend has certain limitations, and maybe you cannot accomplish 100% of your robust goals, uh, but, I mean, then you go to competitors and then you invest 100% of the time to accomplish that. So that's our USP, and that's where we, um, let's say, this is our unique selling proposition compared to direct competitors, those who are in e-commerce space. Still, there are a lot of our prospects or potential customers who are still using generic email service providers like MailChimp, let's say. So if you're using MailChimp, so it's really straightforward. Uh, we used to be the same price. Now MailChimp increased their price. So now we are even cheaper. But for anyone who does sell online, we really have a 
way better value proposition. We know that ROI with us is way greater due to seamless integration, due to benchmarks, which we provide, due to like templates, which are in place, and best practices, which are built into the product and really allow anyone to sell more by using Cognizant. You mentioned that uh, you know you're affordable and even even cheaper than Mailchimp. Well, tell me more about your pricing strategy here. Are you like intentionally trying to be the affordable option? So uh, we don't have an intent to be like the cheap solution, and we're not. I mean, we currently became cheaper because Mailchimp increased their price. <laughs> so <laughs> that's just what organically happened. But Mailchimp itself is is not a cheap solution, and we are not. We have no intent to be the. the, the cost-saving solution or so, a cheap solution. And our aim is really to create more value for our customers than they pay for us. And for anyone who's really running a proper online business, we pay off and ROI is really great. And we know it. If the business is not going at all, so anything above zero is too expensive. We are kind of premium solution in that category, uh, not the cheapest, that's for sure, but uh, creating the most value for the particular customer cohort, which are e-commerce customers. If you um, book club or offline cafe store, so definitely there are uh, way cheaper solutions for you in the market. People like products with high prices. Expensive communicates, it's the best. It's high quality. Sometimes it's a heuristic for making a decision. I just want the best. People also like cheap, the thrill of bargains, rationale of saving. It's the middle ground that seems meh. Omniscent is about 50% cheaper than their biggest competitor, while on the surface having a matching feature set. You can totally make a rational case of why pay more. In this space, there have been also many... um, companies that tried to do the exact same thing that you're doing, but failed. What do you think made you succeed where our others did not? Resilience. Resilience. What's an example of that? Yeah, one word. And up until today, we are bootstrapped. And we call it customer funded. A lot of the competitors, which, I mean, once we launched, we were not smarter than a lot of other people. And uh, the same opportunity was uh, overseen by a lot of folks globally. And there were definitely like a lot of products launched at the same time or like very, very close um, dates as, as we did. So, and the vast majority of them raised VC money. We did not. I mentioned that VC money is a way to get big fast in an emerging category, but there's a downside. If you dramatically increase your spend, but the revenue growth is not catching up. You're going to be dealing with negative operating cash flow. VC money comes to the company, dev costs skyrocket, all expenses go up. But often, revenues are not growing as fast as you wanted. If you raise money before you have a fundamental growth motion in place, that will be very stressful. A negative operating cash flow is not something that investors like to see and can mean that you are in a death trap. To get out of this death trap, Founders usually have two options. First one is decreasing costs. So like you fire people or sell off parts of your company's assets. This can make your business look unstable. You lose public trust. You lose employees' trust. Second option is that you find investors who are ready to invest more money in your business. However, if your growth has stalled, 
you will have a very hard time doing that. At the beginning, that was a smart thing not to fundraise and uh, not to try to accelerate your uh, marketing and sales effort too much because the market was not ready yet to transform into ditch generic email service providers, which email, even at that time, it worked. Just you send the bulk dumb campaigns and it works. Why should I invest more in like automation, some build fee sequences, segment, something? I just sent like almost uh, spray and pray communication type of uh, email blasts and it works for me. Yeah, so probably it's it's one of the factors which were important, uh, especially in comparison to competition. And then, at, you know, at a certain scale, we got our brand uh, and, uh, and recognition overall and our position in, in, in those uh, ecosystems which are important for us. And then it's not that easy for newcomers to catch up. Then. When you enter an already saturated market as a newcomer, the odds are stacked against you. Everyone already knows all the top CRMs or email marketing tools. How would they ever find out about you and seriously consider choosing you over other, more familiar options? I used to think that you need to be better to win. And then I thought it's too hard to be better, so it's more important to be different. Now, I'm convinced you need to be better and different. Objectively better at creating winning customer value for a particular set of customers and clearly different, focused on a particular, maybe even unique job to be done to make it obvious why choose you. When I look at your revenue growth chart, it seems like um, before 2020, you were somewhere at like 6.5 million in revenue and then massive rapid growth in the last two years. What was behind that growth in these last years? A couple of things. It's uh, COVID a lot. So it accelerated the, the growth of the entire e-commerce. Um, that, that's for sure. That was the first factor. Second factor was a conflict between uh, Shopify and MailChimp. And then MailChimp being acquired by Intuit, uh, which again, made some turbulence in the market. And, and still vast majority of our customers were migrating to Amazon, they are migrating from MailChimp. So the more things are happening on MailChimp and they kind of like refought uh, their strategy. They were focusing on e-commerce for a while, but then they made a decision to become one-stop shop for anyone who wants to run a small business online. So they introduced their landing pages, they introduced their shopping cart, uh, Facebook, Google, and Google ads management, et cetera, et cetera. So that was the second thing. So basically the, the leader, the leader in the market, the elephant went out of the room. <laughs> I mean, stayed, but not fully stayed. Yeah, so that's a little bit of, of more fresh air and, and space for you to conquer. Yeah, so probably those, those and the third factor, probably it's again, it's a, a compounding effect, uh, a snowball a little bit. So if, if you're doing something right in the market, it starts pay off for after certain times. It's branding, recognition, and overall in the market partners program and all other smaller details which uh, start showing finally this snowball effect. Yeah, it's that law of um, double jeopardy. It's like once you get big enough in your category, then everything that you do will have like an amplifier on your results. And whereas if you're like the 23rd entrant to the market that nobody knows about you, you can do five times better marketing and still get nowhere, right? 
Yeah, that's that's very good rule. And you know, and we've and we are not the leader in the market. What we see when looking at the number twenty three in the market, that definitely things are way easier for us. But at the same time, uh, we are jealous when we look at the leaders of the market. Things are way easier for them as well. So if we bring any news about our product updates, uh, still, we already have a community. There are tens of thousands of our customers and agencies, etc. So there is like there are people who are already talking about us. But if uh, the market leader is bringing the same message, there are, there are way more people who are talking about that. So completely agree to what you said here. Yeah. Who has more, gets more. The more known your brand, the more known it will get. It's how category leaders keep winning. It's how inferior VHS beat Betamax, because more people had bought VHS early on. The law of double jeopardy is legit. Being a well-known brand gives your advertising and marketing up to 18x effectiveness boost, just because people know you. The game is rigged in the favor of big companies. Larger companies can underspend their competition and still grow. Other factors matter too, like strong creative, but nothing beats brand size. One of the first theorists to notice and name this trend was Paul Dyson from Data to Decisions. Here he is with a case study on how brand size can affect the success of your marketing campaigns. I worked with an alcohol company last year and they wanted to test uh, Facebook for one of their alcohol-free brands. It's a relatively new brand and they tested it and they found that the ROI was 0.2. So their conclusion was that Facebook doesn't really produce a good ROI. But the point was that this was just a, a 50 million brand at the moment. And based on brand size, the ROI you'd expect for a small brand like that would be between 0.2 and 0.4. So it was performing exactly where you thought it would perform, or from my perspective, because it was a small brand. And it wasn't that Facebook wasn't working, it was just that those are the sorts of ROIs you would you would need to get. So it's understanding these things in order to assess whether your test has worked or not. I talked to uh, Morgan Brown from Shopify and uh, he said, well, it's still the early days of e-commerce. We're the leader of a category that's still pretty small and still very early. In the last year, the e-commerce category grew as much as it had, you know, in the previous, depending on who you believe, five to 10 years, right? And so it's still very, very early days. And I don't think anyone here at Shopify thinks that like the job is done. It's still very, very early. There's no slowing down. It still keeps on going. You guys probably intend to be around, uh, you know, also 10 years from now and, and then maybe longer. So I, what kind of moats are you intentionally building, if any? Yeah, so I would agree that those are in early days. The largest moats here are really like the data, which uh, the more data we have about our customers, uh, like enables us to provide a better solution for them. So basically, migration to any other, other platforms would become more and more painful uh, in the short term. Of course, in the long term, uh, neither us nor any of our competitors has any strategic advantage or like network effect or some things like that. How does somebody in this, let's call it broadly, marketing automation in e-commerce space, what is the recipe for winning here? So what, what do you need to get right in terms of product and marketing to win in this space? So I think it's not different to any other space. So constantly look for and listen to your customer and their needs. And those needs are changing, that's for sure. 
and you have to adapt, you have to change constantly and it's uh, evolving like market and the ever evolving needs. So anyone would know that the silver bullet does not exist. There is nothing which you can patent. There are no kind of like uh, scientific innovations here or things like that. You just do your job, you do as, as good as you can, you listen, you reflect your customers' needs and you just do that stuff and I don't have a silver bullet. So, what three key strategies have contributed to Omniscient's success? One, they chose to focus on an underserved niche in a bigger market. So, because the market was already extremely crowded with, let's say, old-school, one-size-fits-all solutions, they're going into niches. Specifically, e-commerce market was not crowded, although it was already filled in because everyone was using generic email service providers. Two. They focused on content marketing to drive traffic and signups. It's not just a generic article. You know? We have a research and we can quote ourselves in that based on our customer data. And that really works a lot uh, and good for us. And even our competitors are quoting us. And that's how we get backlinks from MailChimp. Three, they offer a more affordable product with a winning value proposition against the category leader. We know that ROI with us is way greater due to best practices which are built into the product and really allow anyone to sell more by using Cognizant. One last takeaway from Britis. If we bring any news about our product updates, we already have a community. There are tens of thousands of our customers and agencies, etc. So there are people who are already talking about us. And that's how you win. I'm Pepla. For more tips on how to win, follow me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Thanks for listening.